When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Have you ever wondered who the Mary was from Bloody Mary? If the Loch Ness Monster was real, or if Ouija boards actually worked? On each episode of the family-friendly Unspookable, we look at the histories and mysteries behind your favorite scary stories, myths, and urban legends to get the real stories behind the scares. Want to solve your next mystery? Find and follow Unspookable now wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all, we are back with an all new episode today. We're going to head on out to Arkansas and we are going to explore the haunted history of an iconic hotel. And I bet some of y'all already know what place I'm talking about. But first, I've got a couple things for you. Now, this is probably a little late notice as we've been on a bit of a Halloween hangover. But on Saturday, December 3rd, I'm going to be in the Atlanta area for a true crime live event with some of my true crime buddies, my podcasting friends like Nina Instead from Already Gone, Bob Mata from Defense Diaries, and of course, Jen and Cam from our true crime podcast. The event will be at a place called Pinkies Up in Roswell, Georgia from 7 to 10. So if you'd like to come out, grab your tickets now. I believe there's only a handful left. It's not that far away. The link to that is in the show notes. Also, don't forget, Next month, we're giving away a free copy of the sixth issue of The Morbid Curious, a journal of ghosts, murder, and the macabre, published by the one and only Troy Taylor of the American Hauntings podcast. 
Well, this issue is entirely focused on the haunted history and true crime of New Orleans, so Brianne has an article published in it. If you'd like to grab your own copy, you can, of course, head over to Amazon and get one. I'll have the link in the show notes down there. Or you can sign up for our newsletter for a chance to win one next month. So with that, let's head on out to Arkansas for today's story. We're going to the beautiful Victorian village of Eureka Springs. Of its origins, Tom Ogden wrote of Eureka Springs in his book Haunted Hotels, quote, The town owes its existence to the cool mineral springs located throughout the region. In the mid-1800s, a doctor by the name of Alva Jackson was convinced that his son's inflamed eyes were healed by rinsing them with the waters of one pool named Basin Spring. During the Civil War, the doctor opened a, quote, hospital in a local cave and later bottled and sold the spring water as Dr. Jackson's eye water. The reputation of the water's healing powers grew over the following decades, and a flood of tourists and folks searching for healing came to Eureka Springs. Powell Clayton, a former governor of Arkansas, recognized this as an opportunity to profit and decided to create something that would guarantee Eureka Springs would become a destination desired by all. So with a group of developers and investors, Powell created the Eureka Springs Improvement Company, which purchased 27 acres of land above the town on the north end of West Mountain. It was there that they'd construct a beautiful hotel, a luxurious resort nestled in the Ozark Mountains, a, quote, castle in the sky that would give its guests the opportunity to enjoy a stunning view overlooking the surrounding valley while partaking in the healing powers of the natural springs. Unfortunately, the legacy of what Powell and his fellow investors began isn't quite what they had hoped it would be. As today, some claim this property is tarnished by traumas inflicted within this building, which for a time served as what many call a hospital of horrors. And it's this horrific past that has cemented the Crescent's legacy as America's most haunted hotel. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you are listening to Southern Gothic. of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Y'all, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of my favorite nonprofit organizations here in Middle Tennessee. It's called Poster Nashville. 
Now, this organization supports people during times of housing or medical crises by providing compassionate, temporary care for their pets. That's right. Poster helps secure loving homes for beloved little furballs when their human companions are going through things that might otherwise cause them to have to give them up. But since Poster began back in 2020, they've been able to reunite nearly 250 pets with their loving pet parents after they were able to secure housing, keeping families together through tough times. Of course, y'all, I have to say from personal experience, it's been an awesome program to be around. My kids and I have been fortunate enough to hang out with some of the pups. And trust me, what Poster is doing through a devoted network of volunteers is absolutely heartwarming. So if you'd like to help, Poster is in the middle of their annual fundraiser right now, trying to hit a goal of $20,000. And it would mean the world to me if you'd consider helping us get there. All you got to do is visit southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. That's right, southerngothicmedia.com slash bark. May 20th, 1886, the doors of the iconic Crescent Hotel opened to the public in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Over the previous years, the natural mineral springs that flowed through the Ozark Mountains had gained national interest for their purported restorative and healing properties. And as a result, folks flocked to the picturesque region and health resorts became big business. Crescent Hotel was the grandest of these resorts, a, quote, castle in the sky, overlooking the town of Eureka Springs. But its legacy today is far different than what its founders had intended. The building was designed by Isaac L. Taylor, a noted architect from Missouri. It featured elements of varying architectural styles, from Gothic to Victorian, along with towers, turrets, and overhanging balconies that all came together to create a truly unique-looking building. Construction began in 1884, and no expense was spared. There were 78 guest rooms, an extravagant banquet hall, and the most modern amenities of the day, including indoor plumbing, electrical lighting, an ornate elevator, and steam-powered heating. To top it off, the Crescent boasted a swimming pool, tennis courts, winding boardwalks with gazebos, and a beautifully landscaped garden. The hotel even had a stable, which housed 100, quote, perfectly groomed horses that guests could take out on the winding trails around the mountain. And of course, there were also the healing water spas. The total cost of the hotel was $294,000, an exorbitant amount for the time, which today would be upwards of $9.1 million. It should come as no surprise then that when the Crescent was opened, it was deemed by local papers as, quote, America's most luxurious resort hotel. Unfortunately, by the turn of the century, the phenomena of healing waters had waned folks began to realize that the natural spring water didn't actually have curative properties that they once thought it did. So fewer people made the journey to Eureka Springs, 
and consequently, the Crescent Hotel. Without these visitors, the extravagant luxuries of the 78-room hotel became a burden rather than a boon, and the cost of maintenance and operation made the Crescent entirely unprofitable. So in 1907, America's most luxurious resort hotel was permanently closed. But while the resort was no more, the building remained. So in 1908, it began to have a bit of a double life. As in the fall and spring, it became the home of the Crescent College and Conservatory for young women, a boarding school for girls. And then, during the summer months, when the students returned home, it was once again operated as a resort. Ultimately, though, the women's college suffered the same fate as the initial business, as the mounting cost of upkeep could not be sustained solely through tuition payments and the summer guest fees. So the doors were closed once again in 1924. Then, another attempt to revitalize the building came in 1930, this time as a junior college. But this, too, did not last for long. It closed after only four years, and it's said that it was at this point residents in Eureka Springs began to see what was once the castle in the sky was jinxed or possibly even cursed. But little did they realize the worst was still to come. In 1937, the former Crescent Hotel was purchased by Norman G. Baker. Baker was a former vaudeville performer turned millionaire after he invented the air calliophone, a portable organ run on air pressure as opposed to steam. Then he became a radio personality and started to present himself to the public as a doctor, though he had no medical training or license. On air, he'd frequently launch into attacks on both traditional medicine and the American Medical Association, which he claimed to be entirely corrupt and profit-driven, positioning himself as a, quote, crusader who fought to protect the common man against exploitation. In an effort to support this crusade, he advertised and sold medicinal tonics by mail, medicines he had, quote, discovered, and he claimed that they promoted healing of various illnesses, including cancer. His purchase of the Crescent in 1937 was part of this racket, and Norman Baker turned this immense building into a health resort that became known as Baker's Cancer Curing Hospital. But this wasn't Norman Baker's first attempt at establishing such an institution. Prior to his arrival in Arkansas, he opened the Baker Institute in Muscatine, Iowa, where he treated patients with this supposed cure for cancer. Yet as time passed, an alarming number of Baker's patients died. It seemed his cure wasn't exactly what he claimed it to be. So investigations into his organization began, and eventually a warrant was issued for Baker's arrest for practicing medicine without a license. Somehow, though, he only served a one-day sentence for his crime and was able to leave Iowa free to start anew in Arkansas. 
We'll likely never know if the folks in Arkansas knew about this checkered past or not, or if a greater knowledge of his deceptions would have even made a difference anyway. After all, the folks he was marketing to were in desperate situations. But what we do know is that for a time, Baker thrived. Unfortunately, it came with a heavy cost for those he deceived. There are no records as to exactly how many patients were admitted to Baker's facility in Eureka Springs, though it is estimated to be in the hundreds. The hospital was advertised nationally as a facility that used neither surgery nor painful protracted treatments in its cures. And it boasted that patients who came there for treatments walked away completely cancer-free. In reality, though, not a single patient who entered that supposed hospital walked away with the good health and fortune that they had been falsely promised. Most, if not all, of Baker's curative elixirs were largely composed of local natural spring water, which he continued to claim offered healing properties. And some patients requiring more significant treatment were said to be injected up to seven times a day with this elixir he had concocted from a mixture of carbolic acid, alcohol, ground watermelon seed, and corn silk. Although, the exact variety of these elixirs and the curative treatments that were employed there remain lost to time. But if those treatments weren't bad enough, it seems some of what Baker did there was also downright grim. And although there is some uncertainty about what his activities in the hospital actually were, stories persist that Baker and his staff performed experiments on unanesthetized and fully conscious patients in the name of medicine. Of course, for Norman Baker, it seems it was far more important to maintain the appearance of a successful hospital rather than actually have one. And a large part of that included hiding the numerous patients who continued to sicken and die. So it's said that this charlatan devised a plan to hide and dispose of these bodies quickly without raising the suspicions of any other patients in the hospital. When someone passed away, Baker and his assistants quickly rolled a gurney to the patient's room in the middle of the night. They loaded up the body and then wheeled it to the elevator and traveled down to the basement. It's likely that some were autopsied there, but most claim that these corpses were stored in a refrigerated room, stacked on top of each other like logs, until eventually they could be disposed of in the incinerator. Reportedly, Baker would even move those in their final days of life into a soundproof room in the basement in order to hide any potential appearance that his treatments were failing. There, they were left to suffer a lonely, agonizing death with no access to pain medication, food, or water. Of course, any questions that the other patients had about a sudden vacancy in a nearby room was met with lies claims that their acquaintance had gone into remission and were so anxious and excited to return home that they left the hospital in the middle of the night. Why this ruse worked is a mystery, though it's likely partly the result of Baker's charming personality 
combined with the pure desperation of these people who needed to find hope that a cure to their ailment was on its way. Yet this ruse did not work for very long. In 1939, less than two years after Baker's Hospital opened, federal agents arrested the snake oil salesman, purportedly on a tip provided by a female patient. The woman, whose name is unknown, was said to have grown skeptical of the departure in the middle of the night story after hearing it about a fellow patient she had become close friends with. She knew with all of her heart that this woman she had bonded with never would have left without saying goodbye so her suspicion grew. Now keenly aware of her surroundings, she began to question the frequent sounds of those squeaking gurney wheels in the hospital halls at night. And so she decided to sneak out of her room to follow Baker and his assistant into the basement. There, she supposedly saw what looked like a dungeon or torture chamber with a morgue, autopsy table, cell-like rooms in a giant incinerator. Immediately, the woman fled the property and contacted local police. The accuracy of this account is of course unknown, and it is possible that some of the more shocking elements of the stories were hyperbolized. But Baker was in fact absolutely arrested for doing the unconscionable act of defrauding the sick and dying. Even before arriving in Arkansas, he had caught the attention of the federal government with his mail-order curative business, and though the subsequent trial could not prove that he had actually murdered anyone, they were able to successfully prove fraud. Not only had he convinced patients to grant him their powers of attorney, allowing Baker to take complete control of their money and assets. But he made upwards of a half a million dollars a year through mail-order sales. After the trial concluded, one investigator said, quote, Our investigation indicates that Baker and his associates defrauded cancer sufferers out of approximately $4 million. Our investigation further shows that a great majority of the people who are actually suffering with cancer took the treatment, lived but a short while after returning to their homes from the hospital. We believe that the treatment hastened the death of the sufferers in most cases. It appears to us that the sentence of four years, which Baker received, and the fine of $4,000 was an extremely light penalty under the circumstances. This was a light sentence indeed for a man whose supposed medical cures more than likely hastened the deaths of many, if not all, who took them. One man who testified against Baker was John Tunis. John's wife, Lula, was dying of cancer in the spring of 1930 when she went to Baker's hospital in Iowa. He stated, quote, She needed treatments. She told me it was awful that five or seven needles a day were stuck into her, and they would hold them there until the medicine ran out. She said it didn't do much good, said she wanted to go home, that she was getting worse. She was in terrible shape when she left the Baker Institute and went down in bed right away. 
Wulga Tunis was dead by Christmas that same year. After Norman Baker served his mere four years in jail, he moved to Florida and lived the rest of his life comfortably with his ill-gotten gains until his death in 1958. Of course, with all of this trauma taking place on the grounds of this once luxurious hotel, it's no wonder why visitors to what is once again this resort have experienced some pretty eerie encounters with the seemingly paranormal. We'll discuss some of these occurrences, legends, and more after the break. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The Nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning, delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Rawl lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at constantpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. As if the history of the Crescent Hotel isn't dark enough, there remains one final legend of the notorious Norman Baker and his Hospital of Horrors, which for the longest time seemed as if it was merely local lore, but in the last five years has been somewhat validated by fact. It's said that Baker had a fondness for maintaining keepsakes of human body parts, that he preserved in sealed jars. The remains were purportedly taken from the autopsies of patients who died at the facilities, and it was believed that there were so many of these jars, they were displayed in what has been remembered as the parts room. Of course, when it became clear that it'd likely be arrested, 
Baker supposedly hid these jars in a basement wall, and as a result, their whereabouts were never found. Until one day, almost a century later, they were. In February of 2019, a landscaper unearthed a dump site filled with hundreds of bottles. So an archaeological dig commenced on this site that is believed to be the hospital's dumping ground. From this emerged roughly 5,000 bottles, some still in pristine condition. There were even serum-style bottles, which seemed to contain the formula for Baker's elixir that we now know contained brown corn silk, red clover, ground watermelon seeds, peppermint, glycerin, and carbolic acid. Also discovered were pharmacy-style mixing tools, the blade of a bone saw, and reels of Baker's 16mm promotional films. Notably, though, some of those bottles contained what appeared to be fleshy tissue still floating in the preservation liquid. It appears that Baker's keepsakes had been located. Further tests conducted on one of the specimen jars indicated that they were consistent with human tissue, although it wasn't cancerous or a tumor. So why would Baker maintain this collection? Well, a clue may come from the hotel's promotional material, which includes photographs of specimen jars with the tagline, we have proof of our success. We have hundreds of specimens like these. This was certainly an interesting claim for Baker to make and advertise, for he didn't actually advocate for the use of surgical intervention in the treatment of cancer. Now, as to these items' current location, some have actually been returned to the basement of the hotel, where they remain on display in the former morgue area. There, it is said that Baker conducted autopsies and post-mortem surgeries. That original autopsy table in the walk-in cooler where he kept cadavers still remains there today. Following Baker's arrest, the old hotel building sat abandoned for six years. A group of men from Chicago purchased it and attempted to restore it to its former glory, and for a time they were successful. But in 1967, a fire broke out on the fourth floor and quickly swept the entire south wing, destroying it. The business did not survive, and once again the property sat abandoned. Over the following decades, it changed hands time and time again, but in 1997, a renovation of the building began that would last six years and cost $2 million. First, a 6,500-square-foot, state-of-the-art spa and salon was opened, followed by the restoration of the hotel's skyline and reconstruction of what was lost in the 1967 fire. The original penthouse, central observation tower, and original 24-foot-tall crescent moon weather vane were restored, as were the 78 guest rooms, assorted lounges, and landscape gardens. On September 6, 2002, the 1886 Crescent Hotel and Spa reopened and remains that way to this very day. Of course, with the dark history of this building, 
it's unsurprising that the Crescent Hotel has permanent residents of a ghostly variety. In fact, the resort's website even boasts, quote, share a hotel with guests who checked out but never left. Several well-known spirits are believed to haunt the grounds, and though many have links back to the building's time as a hospital, that's not the case for all of them. Perhaps the most active ghost in the hotel is Michael, who is said to be one of the original Irish stonemasons who worked on the building's construction in 1884. Legend says that Michael was a bit of a flirt, and one day, while working on the building's limestone exterior, he caught sight of a beautiful young lady walking by. Michael tried to get her attention, but in the process, he lost his balance and fell to his death. It's said that the beam he landed on is now part of the structure of room 218, and this is where his spirit makes itself known to this very day. Purportedly, Michael is not bashful about making his presence known, especially to the ladies in this room. Guests staying there have reported cool breezes that have come out of nowhere, items unpacked and placed away and luggage stacked in the corner. Some have reported the sound of a thump as though something or someone has fallen heavily. Now, all reports do indicate that Michael isn't threatening. He can certainly be startling. Some women have reported the sounds of whispering in their ear or the feel of someone sitting on the bed with them. Some have even claimed to be met with the apparition of a young man in worn work clothes giving them a smile and tipping his hat in greeting. As a result, room 218 is now perhaps one of the most requested rooms at the Crescent Hotel. The hotel's crystal dining room is also a hot spot for the paranormal. Apparitions dressed in Victorian attire frequently make their presence known and spectral dancers can be seen enjoying their evening. Some report that a 19th century gentleman sits at a table near the window, and when approached, he has said, quote, I saw the most beautiful woman here last night, and I'm waiting for her to return. Another frequently spoken of ghost is Theodora. Little is known about her, and stories do differ as to who she was. But all agree, Theodora is the spirit of a woman who was around during the building's tenure as Baker's Hospital. Theodora is most frequently seen and sometimes even photographed in room 419. In fact, some claim she even introduces herself to guests. Who exactly she was is unknown. Some speculate she was a nurse, others a patient, but all who've come into contact with her say that after her introduction, she quickly dissipates into nothing, right before their eyes. It's also agreed that Theodora loathes arguments and fighting, as couples who argue in the room may return later to find their bags packed in an effort to get them to leave. In 2019, Ghost Adventures visited the property 
and chronicled some of these apparitions. Docent Diane Newcomb told the TV hosts about one of the experiences she personally had while giving a tour. Quote, We talk about a little boy named Brecky who died here when his appendix ruptured. And I was talking about him one night. I was standing right here and someone captured a photograph of that bench behind me there with an apparition in it. Diane was then asked if she had that photograph and she did in fact still have it. The image was uncanny. Perhaps unsurprisingly, there are also stories linking back to the notorious Norman Baker himself. As guests have reported seeing what appears to be a hospital gurney rolling down hallways, only to disappear at the end of the corridor. And it's said that the basement where original artifacts from Baker's hospital remain is the home of several apparitions. Some have seen what appears to be a nurse walking around the area that was once the morgue. Others have said that they have spotted what appears to be an apparition moving around or laying on the autopsy table. Yet perhaps the most perplexing and heartbreaking spirit of the Crescent Hotel morgue is said to be that of a young girl, perhaps seven or eight years old. Her apparition has long, curly hair, and she has on an old tattered dress. The girl is most frequently seen in the room behind the morgue cooler, peeking around the doorframe to see who has come to the basement before disappearing. Some have even reported the chilling feeling of a child-sized hand slipping into their own and holding it. But who this girl was, what may have happened to her, and why her spirit remains trapped there is unknown. Today, the 1886 Crescent Hotel is open for bookings, so folks can head up to the one-time castle in the sky and experience the exquisite view of the Ozarks. But for most, it's the property's legacy as a hospital of horrors that continues to draw them in. For at the Crescent Hotel, it's clear that the past doesn't feel quite as past as some would hope it to be. My name is Brandon Schecksneider, and you've been listening to Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is an independently produced podcast created by siblings Brian and Brandon Schecksneider with the support of listeners like you. This month, we'd like to thank our most recent Patreon supporters, Elizabeth White, Matthew Harding, Laura Anderson, Jody Hightower, and Sherry Jackson. And of course, our newest superfan who's pledged $10 a month, Beth Carpenter-Bell. If you're interested in joining us and receiving additional content, including ad-free episodes, head over to our Patreon page today. The link is in the show notes. Lucky Lady Shacks.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Hello, my name is Matt, host of the Pirate History Podcast. Pirates rank among the most mythologized and romanticized of all historical figures. It can become easy to forget that pirates were real people that had real-world concerns. If you like tales of high seas adventure, daring do, and also want to learn more about who Blackbeard supported to be king, you can learn more about all of that at the Pirate History Podcast.